Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover four books from this year's reading list written by African-American authors. One of these books I would consider to be in the top 10 of all the books that I've read for this project. Uh, One of the other books helped me to see stories of the Bible through different eyes. Uh, Another book I could not finish. The content, the the brutality, uh, I I just, I couldn't get through it. And so I'll I'll cover that as well. And then the last one helped me to, to tie a lot of different ideas and books together that I've read for this project. So here are the four books. Uh, the first is Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. The second one is Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. The third one is Beloved by Toni Morrison. And the fourth one is The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. So I'll cover a little about each book in the four segments of this podcast episode. So let's get started with Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. I have read over 275 books now for this project since since the beginning of 2017, and I would put Invisible Man in the top 10 of all the books that I've read for this project. Uh, I, I it, it was incredible. It, it was just a, an astonishing book, and so relevant for for our time. It it was written in 1947, but I would I would say now it, it is as relevant as as ever. Um, as the title would suggest, it's about an invisible man, but actually a nameless man as well. So we never get the name of the of the main character in the book. We know we know that he's black, and if the title were exact, it would be called the Invisible Visible Man because the main character is not he's not actually invisible. He's very visible. It's not that people can't see him; it's that they won't see him. And that that is true of nearly everyone in this book, uh, in in terms of how they relate to the invisible man. It it doesn't matter if the person is white or black, they refuse to see him for who he is. So they either try to use him as a tool, uh, they they try to make him into someone else, they think he's someone else, or they require actions of him that's that fit within a certain confine of 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 what what is allowed. And in fact, some of the most intimate scenes in the book, the the woman does not even know his name. I, I want to read one one part, and it's it's just actually the very first chapter of the prologue, uh, because it is it, it it encapsulates so much. I am an invisible man. No, I'm not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe. Nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Like the bodiless heads you see sometimes in circus sideshows, it is as though I have been surrounded by mirrors of hard, distorting glass. When they approach me, they only see my surroundings, themselves, or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me. End quote. Uh, that is that is a perfect that that just perfectly encapsulates so much of what is in this book. There's some very vivid scenes, uh, some scenes I don't know that I'll ever get out of my head. Uh, one of those is is the scene towards the beginning of the book, where 
the invisible man, he thinks he's being invite to, invited to a a place where he can give a speech. Uh, he thinks people have been impressed by by something he's he's done before, and uh, that he's being invited to a gr- to to a meeting where there's going to be a, a a bunch of white people, and he's he thinks he's going there to give a speech, and he gets there, and instead he is there to fight nine other black men in in this ring to be entertainment for for the these these white people and it's just such a tragic scene because the entire time this is going on he's just getting the crap beat out of him and and he keeps thinking in his mind but but i'm, I'm still supposed to give this speech i'm supposed to give this speech and um and, and ironically he he is able to give the speech at the end and that plays a part in in into the the rest of the book but um it, it it's just such a violent vivid scene and so it, it again uh, uh, describes so much of of what of what Ralph Ellison is saying in this book about about this man being being invisible. Uh, if you are interested in hearing more about this book, I listened to this excellent episode of of the Econ Talk podcast where Russ Roberts spoke with Dwayne Betts, and they talked about two books, but this is one one of the books, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, that was a really good episode and, and helped me kind of think, think about this book in, in other ways. Uh, one thing I did think about when I was reading this is that it would, this would be an incredible book to, to talk about in a, in a book club. Uh, and I, I hope to do that someday. I, I would love to, to read this again. I'd love to dig into it deeper. And, and like I said before, I, I think it, it, I think it has so much to say to us right now, especially in, oh, over the past couple years. Um, I mean, there's like exact scenes of what just happened in the last couple years in, in, in this country. And, uh, yeah, just a very prescient book and, and one that, um, that has a lot to say to us today, even though it was written, uh, or published in 1947. As for reading stats, this is a 503-page book. It took me 14 hours, 21 minutes, and 9 seconds. Uh, I read that over 10 days, so that was about 50 50 pages per day. I read it between July 7 and 16. And uh, I have an old copy of this book. It's a a small, uh, rough paperback that that I bought a long time ago, and I've got a a plane ticket in in this book. And, And if if I go through my library, I, I I have a lot of different plane tickets in in books because I'll I'll keep whatever trip I was taking if I was reading the book at that time that becomes my bookmark and then and then it just kind of helps me remember when I read it. So I know that I started this book. Uh, this was from a trip in 2006, I believe. So I started this book in 2006. I made it <clears throat> maybe 100 pages or so in, uh, but did not finish it. And and then now this time uh, this year I finished it and just. Just absolutely loved it. Uh, I think it's an incredible book. Next up, uh, I will cover Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. All right, next up, Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. I have been following Esau on Twitter for a while, and he is an academic, and I've seen him post about this book. And I uh, have just wanted to read it for a while, so it's, it's been on my radar. The tagline is African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. 
And then in the first chapter, Esau asks uh, a number of questions that he then answers in, in the rest of the book. And a couple of the questions uh, stuck out, and, and I'm going to ask them here and then and then cover uh, the way that he answers them in the book, because I, I found it to be very interesting. So the first question uh, goes along the lines of, uh, was Christianity a heritage to the black community from their slave masters, or was there a longer and deeper cultural heritage? Uh, and the reason this question is is important is that the the way that the that Christianity was presented to slaves from their slave masters was a very skewed version of Christianity, and it was one that focused on particular things and did not uh, highlight other things, and uh, so and it was trying to 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 make people a certain way so that they would, they would always, uh, be in this, this mentality of slavery and in, in this position of slavery. Uh, so the, there's the, that question, like, did we get this from our slave masters or is this, is this something that has been in, in history for, for longer? So that's kind of the first question. The second one, it goes something like this. Does God save him? So the author, does God save the author from his blackness or is blackness a manifestation of God's glory? So put it in, in another way, uh, in the afterlife presented in the Bible, does, does everybody melt into one or does everyone retain their distinctness? Do they re- retain their cultural heritage? They Do they re- retain uh, what... The, the things that make them unique, uh, their skin color, their, their culture, their heritage, uh, or do they melt into one? So those, those are the, the, the two main questions I wanted to highlight in this episode. And to the first question, Esau's answer is very interesting. He says that slave masters would highlight texts that were meant to reinforce their, their power, so the slave master's power, or hide texts that could threaten that power. However, stories were stronger than those texts. And so the Exodus story in particular stood out to black people under slavery in a unique way. And in the story of the Exodus, God saves his chosen people, the Hebrews, out of slavery from the Egyptians. So if we just look at that story and consider just that story, you have two groups of people. You've got the powerful Egyptians and you have the weak Hebrew slaves. And God has a choice. He can choose the Egyptians or he can choose the Hebrews. And so who does he choose? Well, he chooses the slaves. He does not choose the slaveholders. And I want to read from page 88 here uh, what, why this matters. In that story, God acted to free a people from slavery, not as an end of itself, but so that the newly liberated people might testify to a different way of being human. And that is so powerful. It's such a fantastic example, too, of story capturing the imagination more so than facts or, or cherry-picked texts that were, were being read to, to the slaves. So as a result, the slave masters had, had been giving their slaves a particular flavor of Christianity, but the slaves saw something deeper than what they were being told. They not only heard the Exodus story, but they felt it. And they knew that the God of the Bible chose them over their slaveholders. And that was, that was amazing. Uh, Esau continues on page 144. When they turned to the biblical, so here's a quote, when they turned to the biblical text, they didn't see God describing himself as the God who enslaves people and therefore his chosen nation should enslave others. Instead, they saw in the stories of Daniel, Moses, and Jonah, a much different God than the one described by their slave masters, end quote. 
Now to the second question of uh, does every uh, to where it, the vision to at the end is it that everyone just kind of becomes one or uh, do do people maintain their distinctness? Um, Esau says this on page one sixteen, and, and here's a quote: "At the end, we do not find the elimination of difference. Instead, the very diversity of cultures is a manifestation of God's glory." God's eschatological vision for the reconciliation of all things in his son requires my blackness in my neighbor's Latina identity to endure forever. Color blindness is sub-biblical and falls short of the glory of God. End quote. So in this section, he's, he's contrasting that uh, where, some, where he's, he hears some people say, well, I'm, I'm colorblind. I, I don't even see color. I just, I just, I just see people. And he said, is that is that how we're supposed to be? Like, we just don't even see color, even though we're different colors? Uh, he says, no, I, w- the, the, the distinctness, that, that's part of the beauty. And what, what, what the Bible says about the end is that the diversity will, will remain there. And that is a manifestation of God's glory. It's not that everything is going to become one and, and that everybody will be colorblind. In fact, that is, as he says, sub-biblical, and it falls short of the glory of God to, to, to try to do this fake colorblindness. Uh, so I, I, I thought that was a neat, neat way to, to respond to that. Um, if you've read be, the book uh, Between the World and Me, you should read this book. Uh, I remember reading that and being so struck by the use of the term black bodies. Uh, Esau uses that term a lot in here as well. And he, he, but, but I like that Esau talks about black bodies and black souls and, uh, as, as in the souls of black people. Uh, but, but kind of gives more, kind of goes deeper into that. Um, I, I just remember being struck by that when, when reading between the world and me of, of black bodies and, and that being in, in this book a lot as well. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this book is that Esau addresses some of the very verses that the slave masters used to highlight to their slaves. And then he addresses uh, policing during the time of Jesus and Paul, and what we can learn from that in, in our day and age, uh, and just gives a broader scope to a lot of, of Bible verses. And and so I really, I really enjoyed that, that aspect of it. It, it, it opened up my mind to a, a lot of a lot of things. Uh, for reading stats, this was a 208-page book. It took me four hours and 23 minutes to get through it. That was over five days, so 42 pages per day. I read it between September 10 and 14. Uh, this book was written just a few years ago in 2020. Next up, I'll cover Beloved by Toni Morrison. Well, I made it to page 131 in Beloved. It is a 325-page book. I actually made it to page 125 and then uh, decided to read something else and then started back up and only made it another six pages before I had to stop. And to put that in context, I I have only stopped uh, a few books for this reading project, and that's since 2017. Uh, one of my rules is to not stop books. So it it takes a lot for me to to stop reading a particular book. And the reason I stopped this one is it it was just it was too much. Uh, I do hope to read it again at some point in the future. I feel like a, a, a wimp of sorts for for having uh, to stop this book, but um, 
it, it was too much. And uh, part, part of it was just, I, I have a lot in my mind. I've, I've, uh, work's really busy right now. And this book kind of moves around a lot. So it's, it's hard to it's hard to keep track of who's who, uh, where are they, when are they. Um, and so that, that was part of it. I was just having trouble mind-wise mind of, of keeping track. But the, the bigger part of it was just the brutality and horror of slavery, of, of what the characters went through. Um, this book takes place after the fact, uh, after slavery has been abolished, but there's a lot of flashbacks to the time of slavery and uh, the main characters lived during during slavery and, and were slaves. And um, gosh, I, 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 I hated having to stop it, but it, but it, it was so much. And I think the thing that, that got me the worst, I mean, there, there's just horrid brutality, but uh, the thing that got me the worst was just the breakup of the family and the, the purposeful breaking up of families. So uh, the slaveholders would break up families and on, on purpose. And so women would have babies and then those children would be, would be separated from the mothers. And so one of the main characters in the, in this book, she just, she does not, she cannot show love to her children because if she were to love her children, they would be taken from her and that pain would be too much. Um, yeah, you, you think about that for one, one person and you, you multiply that across all the people that were slaves and, uh, just contemplate the horror of that situation. And, uh, it just got to be too much. I, I do hope to get, to get back to it at some point in my life. Uh, I, I feel badly that I've, I've stopped it. I feel like a wimp, but, um, I know this stuff happened. I, I think it's important to read about it. I live in an area where there was slavery. Um, I read other disturbing stuff, so why can't I read this? But I, I just couldn't do it. I want to. I do want to read uh, one part though that um, uh, was one of my favorites in in the parts that I did read or did read, and this was on page forty three, and it's a, a, talking about time and memory, and it's just something I'm always interested in, in in reading about, and why do we remember certain things? Why do certain things stick out? Um, why, why do we forget other things? Um, can we make ourselves forget things? Uh, it almost seems like the things that you want to forget the most are the things that stay the, the, the longest. Uh, so I'm, whenever I, I come across a passage about that, I'm, I'm very interested. So here's, here's a paragraph. I was talking about time. It's so hard for me to believe in it. Some things go pass on. Some things just stay. I used to think it was my re-memory. You know, some things you forget, other things you never do, but it's not places. Places are still there. If a house burns down, it's gone, but the place, the picture of it stays. And not just in my re-memory, but out there in the world. What I remember is a picture floating around out there outside my head. I mean, even if I don't think it, even if I die, the picture of what I did or knew or saw is still out there, right in that place where it happened. End quote. Uh, I started this book September 14 and, and read it uh, until the 17th and then and then quit. So um, uh, yeah, hope to get back to it at some point in my life, but just can't can't do it right now. Up next, the fire next time by James Baldwin.
Well, this book is made up of two letters, one short and one long. The first one is called My Dungeons Shook, and it's a letter to my nephew on the 100th anniversary of the emancipation. The second letter is called Down at the Cross, and the the description for that is letter from a, from a region in my mind. So the first letter to his nephew is very short. Um, the other one constitutes the, the remainder of the book. It's an 87-page book, so it's, it goes pretty fast. But um, what I wanted to do in this section was just highlight a few things that stuck out to me and then uh, some connections to, to other books that I've read for this, this project. So the first is uh, a connection to the first book that, that, I, that I talked about, The, the uh, Invisible Man. And so here's a section. Um, Baldwin says this, and this is in his letter to his nephew. I suggest that the innocents check with her, and this is uh, his grandmother, uh, check with, with his grandmother. She isn't hard to find. Your countrymen don't know that she exists either, though she has been working for them all their lives, end quote. So a, a little background here, the, the innocents, he, he kind of uh, mock, mockingly calls uh, white people uh, the innocents, and then um, he's talking about his the his his nephew's grandmother and says, you should check with her. Uh, she's not hard to find, but your countrymen. So he's talking about the, the, the innocents, the white people. They don't know that she exists either, though she has been working for them all their lives. So it, it reminded me a lot of, of, uh, the invisible man where he, he's been around people. He's been, um, in, in their midst the entire time, but they, they don't see him. And um, Baldwin captures that in this this letter to his his nephew. The next up, um, there's a line on page 23 here. Uh, that summer, in any case, all the fears with which I had grown up and which were now a part of me and controlled my vision of the world rose up like a wall between the world and me and drove me into the church. End quote. Uh, there's a conversion story in, in this book. Uh, James Baldwin uh, becomes a Christian. Uh, later, he kind of falls from that faith and and uh, exp- starts meeting with Elijah Muhammad uh, of the Nation of Islam. Um, but but I, I found this this section to be to be really interesting. And then just that term um, between the world and me. Uh, that's the title of uh, Ta-Nehisi's uh, Coates's book. Uh, but that's not where he got the title. The, the title is from a a poem written in the 1930s. I believe, and, and this book was written in 1962 or, or published in 1962. So I was just wondering uh, if if um, that turn of phrase, if if um, Baldwin picked it up from that poem um, or if it, it just happened to be in there, but uh, obviously uh, thought of, of the, the book of that title as well. And just also that Between the World and Me is uh, a letter by Coates that's written to his, his son. So it kind of follows in the vein of this book, which is, is two, two letters. Uh, my favorite quote in the book comes on page 45, so let me read that. The subtle and deadly charge of heart that might occur in you would be involved with the realization that a civilization is not destroyed by wicked people. It is not necessary that people be wicked, but only that they be spineless. End quote. Uh, Learn something about Bobby Ken- Kennedy. Read this. Bobby Kennedy's assur- assurance that a Negro can become president in 40 years uh, in that just kind of a, a brief statement, but, um, so in the sixties, Bobby Kennedy said that, uh, a, 
a black person would become president in 40 years. And uh, he wasn't that far, far off. And I didn't know that uh, Bobby Kennedy had said that. Page 79, this is the last one. And um, yeah, I repeat, the price of the liberation of the white people is the liberation of the blacks, the total liberation in the cities, in the towns, before the law and in the mind. End quote. I liked that. The, the total liberation, uh, it's in the cities, in the towns, before the law, and in the mind. And it, it almost seems like the last battleground of liberation will be, or, or would be, in the mind. Um, there can be outward, outward manifestations of that liberation, but until it seeped into the minds of everyone... It, it was not going to be a, a full liberation uh, if it still existed in the mind. This is an 87-page book. Um, it's one that you can read rather quickly. Um, it took me a little under two hours. I read it in a day, and that day was September 21st. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you've read either of, of, of these four books. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or uh, the, the, the books that I covered. Um, you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And the website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. I'll be back in a, a week or two to discuss another book uh, for my 2022 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.